Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this is Mosiah chapters 25 through 28. The last couple of episodes, we've replayed some older episodes as part of our current episode, but we're excited in this episode to dive into a fresh study um, that uh, I think is really relevant for what we're going through in these times. Speaking of these times, Zach, we were just talking about kind of some of the stuff that has gotten us through the mm-hmm. pandemic or our stay-at-home order. As m- maybe like many of you, I think some of us are moving into a little bit more relaxed um, versions of our stay-at-home order. We're now yellow here in Utah as yeah, opposed which, to orange. I don't. It's kind of funny. You don't really know... Like, oh, is that safe? Can we do that? <laughs> anyway, it's it's all sorts of weird. The whole thing has been weird. But um, we were just talking about the things that have gotten us through. And if I could choose one thing that has gotten me through, I would have to say it's been a sparkling water addiction that has gone crazy <laughs> for both of us. But I think it's just been like one of those things that like I really look forward to each day is which flavor of sparkling water am I going to mm-hmm. choose today? Tangerine LaCroix in my thermos cup or whatever mixed with water that's good stuff that's your that's where it's at for you for me it was changing my desk from facing the dresser to facing the window i went through a whole office remodel it took me about five seconds and my life got better taking your tiny desk from this direction it is though the window provides a much better now you have a a window view it does very grateful for that so hopefully you are surviving out there (laughs) um if you aren't then go pick yourself up some sparkling water or move your desk and uh see what happens that's our self-help tip for the day is that what you're trying to say (laughs) hey we wanted to do something a little bit different at the beginning of this episode um In our study record, we introduce a model for study that we mention quite often here on the podcast, uh, that is learn, feel, do, and become. And we wanted to remind you of those four different kind of approaches to studying scriptures. Uh, And over the next couple of episodes, provide some more examples of what that type of study might look like. Uh, Maybe some questions that you could use in your own personal study to help you learn, feel, do, and become. And certainly as we talk about these, this is no subscribed way that you have to study. I think for us, as we have have been talking about the scriptures a lot with this podcast, um, I think we just realized that it can bring a little more meaning behind your study and that scripture study is so much more than just learning to learn about the scriptures, but that they're really these um, great things that can help us to feel things and do things and to ultimately become like the Savior. Well, and I think it's helpful to understand that God's purpose in scripture is not just to teach us information, principles, doctrines, even though that's wonderful. It is to reach our hearts, our hands, and our spirits, our souls. And so these questions can help us draw from the scriptures what God intends for us to draw from the scriptures. And of course, the first one we're familiar with, what can I learn about God or about his gospel as I study the scriptures? And that comes in the way of we find new insights, we mark scriptures, we uh, find wonderful scriptural quotes, and that's a great way to study. But there are more levels or more ways to approach scripture study, um, maybe even in conjunction with that learn way. 
The second question you might ask yourself is, as I study the scriptures, how do I feel this applies to me? In other words, as I read what's on the page, what do I feel about what's happening in my own life? Can I connect what I'm reading to what I'm experiencing? Question three, as I'm studying the scriptures, what will I do to act in faith? What do I feel prompted to do? As I'm learning and feeling, uh, I will experience um, promptings or impressions to act in certain ways based on what I'm learning and feeling. And then as I do that consistently, as I learn regularly, as I feel deeply, and as I act faithfully, I will start to become what God wants me to become. In short, I'll start to become more like the Savior. And so the fourth question to ask is, as I'm studying the scriptures, what do I sense about how I can become more like the Savior? And I think for me, as we kind of put these into words, it just helped me see that there's just a lot more to the study than than maybe what we usually think. And kind of putting those into words of like, no, I'm coming to the scriptures um, to learn about God and, and to become more like him and to understand who he is and to change and repent and become better, which is what this episode is about today. We're studying about Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah, the beginning of these great missionaries. So um, here we go. Just a quick caveat. If you're interested in a simple page that has those four symbols and questions on it, on our website, we have a free download. That's just a learn, feel, do, and become page. You can print out as many as you want um, to use for your own study or to use to help other people study as well. It's a great, simple way to just get more out of the scriptures. Yeah. And that is on our website. And there's a little tab that says free. So click on there. It might be a little hard to find, but that's where you go to to find that. Um, we could put that in our show notes. But again, I think that that would be a great way to um, study differently any block of scripture this week as you do at home church or anything with your family yeah. or your friends. Yeah. Okay. To dive in today, um, we're going to start in chapter 25. We have wrapped up one of the most fascinating stories in the Book of Mormon. It's the story of Zenith and his people leaving Zarahemla and wicked King Noah and Abinadi and Alma repenting and leaving and living in the wilderness with his people and everyone being redeemed and, and uh, saved from bondage and returned back to Zarahemla. And in chapter 25, all of these disparate and dispersed groups finally make it home. And once they're home... King Mosiah causes the records of these different peoples to be read. And as they're read, the people experience, this is in chapter 25, wonder and amazement in verse 7. They are filled with joy uh, and they are amazed in verse 10 at the immediate goodness of God. And then Alma goes out and he starts to visit different groups of people and he teaches them something really powerful. This is in verse 16. Well, starting in verse 15. And Alma did speak unto them when they were assembled together in large bodies, and he went from one body to another, preaching unto the people repentance and faith on the Lord. And he did exhort the people of Limhi and his brethren and all those that had been delivered out of bondage that they should remember that it was the Lord that did deliver them. I've always viewed chapter 25 as a conclusion to the story we just got done reading. Limhi and his people being freed and Alma and his people being freed. But as I studied it in conjunction with the way that Come Follow Me has laid it out, I think this might be a healthy bridge to connect what we just got done studying to what we will study. 
The chapters we have finished reading were all about people who were in bondage to external sources, to Lamanites or to people that were oppressing them. In the chapters coming up, we're going to read about a group of people, Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah, that are in bondage to internal sources. Because of their own sins, they are in bondage, not because someone else, an army is attacking them or the world around them is captured them or placing them in bondage, but because they are internally trapped. And the power of the story we're going to study is that it can help us learn what we need to learn and maybe even feel what we need to feel so that we can appropriately act in faith and in repentance so that we can become free from those internal sources of bondage. So to set it up, um, this story begins uh, in chapter 26 with a group of people that uh, were too young at the time King Benjamin gave his sermon to really grasp what he was teaching. And they haven't experienced what all of these different groups have. And so they start going around and causing havoc in the church. Among that group of people is Alma, the son of Alma the Older, so Alma the Younger, and these sons of Mosiah. This story, interestingly, is at the crux of the Book of Mormon. It's at the center of the Book of Mormon. Um, If you're familiar with the term chiasmus, there's a lot of passages in the Book of Mormon that are written chiastically, which is that the first idea and the last idea mirror each other, then the second to first idea and the second to last idea mirror each other, and the most important idea is in the middle. Now, of course, the crowning event of the Book of Mormon is the visit of the Savior and what he teaches, but at the center of the Book of Mormon is the story of Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah, their repentance, their forgiveness, and the changes that they bring about in the entire in the group of Nephites and Lamanites. This this is the central point of the Book of Mormon. I love thinking of it that way, that the center of the Book of Mormon is the power that God has to change people. And we see the story of Alma the Younger, who didn't ask to be changed or didn't want to be changed. Mm-hmm. And then you do see those people just barely before we read the story of Alma and his people that were so excited to change and wanted to change. And so it's kind of interesting to see those two worlds coming together. Mm -hmm. But that's, as you're saying that, that's the center of the story, the the power of, um, of God and the, the desire he has to deliver his people in all of these, these external and internal ways. And so Mormon has chosen an extreme example in Nephite history to highlight Alma, who of his own admission is the very vilest of sinners, becomes perhaps one of the greatest missionaries and prophets in the Book of Mormon, is is supposedly translated at the end of his life, and is labeled, labored on in the Book of Mormon with Captain Moroni and his sons as someone that, if we could become like him, Satan would have no power over us anymore. That's how powerful Alma becomes. We take the worst of the worst and make him the best of the best. And if it can happen to Alma, then it can happen to any of us. And so what we want to start with is in chapter 27, this verse, Alma is in a coma. He's been going around trying to destroy the church. The angel comes to stop him and he struck dumb or he struck in a coma for three days. And when he awakes out of his coma, the first thing he says in verse 24 is this, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. And what we want to ask is, what truths do we learn about our own repentance and the Lord's ability to redeem us that can help us actually change and become 
who we need to become. So as we studied, we found kind of two overarching points to these questions. The first one being, we underestimate how much the Lord does to redeem his people. And then the second, on the flip side of that, we overestimate how much we need to do to repent. So first talking about this one of we underestimate how much the Lord does to redeem his people. If you've been listening since the beginning of this year, we kind of decided to take this look on the Book of Mormon this year of really looking at what God is doing to the people. Some A lot of times we, um, you know, study the Book of Mormon focused on what the people of the Book of Mormon are doing, which is great. But this focus of remembering that the Lord is active in the lives of these people, um, I think so this one was was really interesting for me. And I love some of the phrases that I came upon as I studied this block. So the first one comes from chapter 25. It says, And again, when they thought of the immediate goodness of God and his power in delivering, delivering Alma and his brethren out of the hands of the Lamanites and out of bondage, that immediate goodness of God. I think we can underestimate how willing God is to deliver us. And if we haven't learned something, as we've studied through these first few books in the Book of Mormon, that is what we see. We continually see him delivering his people in that immediate goodness. And maybe sometimes we box up God in this in this way that um, we think he needs to deliver us in certain ways, but his goodness is there and is present. Maybe it isn't exactly what we think it needs to look like, but his goodness is immediate. And I believe that as I read it. Um, the next one that I loved is chapter 26, verse 22. Um, and this is the Lord speaking to Alma. He says, And whomsoever ye shall re- ye, sa- ye receive shall believe in my name, and him will I freely forgive. This, of course, replies, applies directly to what we're talking about now with this repentance. And him will I freely forgive. Um, again, those ideas of it's immediate, it's freely given to us, I think are things that we have seen and that God wants to emphasize in the scriptures and in these stories for us. So don't underestimate how much the Lord is is doing for you, just like he did with these people. I mean, we're taught to... A few times I noticed the word remember come up. Remember that it was the Lord that did deliver them. Remember these things for yourself so that you can make it happen in your life too. And he wants these people to remember the same thing. And we see what happens when that doesn't work, when we when they talk about the people that didn't understand King Benjamin's. We need to remember and go back and look at our own experiences and also the experiences that have happened before us. I love this point and I love... Um, the Lord makes a point of making this, um, uh, embedding this in Alma's mind. Uh, in chapter 26, there are these unbelievers that are causing havoc in the church, and Alma doesn't know what to do with them. He takes them to King Mosiah. King Mosiah says, this is a church thing. You need to figure it out. And Alma prays and wrestles to try and get an answer of, what do I do with these people? And uh, the Lord gives him an answer, and he gives him answers about you know church protocol and their names in the church and when to remove names and when to... But in the middle of all that, he emphasizes this. This is verse 22. For behold, this is my church. Whosoever is baptized shall be baptized unto repentance, and whomsoever you receive shall believe in my name, and him will I freely forgive. That's what Christa just read. But then this, for it is I that taketh upon me the sins of the world. For it is I that hath created them. And it is I that hath granted unto him that believeth at the end a place at my right hand. I think the Lord's trying to emphasize 
Alma, remember, these are my people. This is my church. And I have paid a price so that I am empowered to reach out and save them. Verse 26, the companion truth to that is, uh, Then shall they know that I am the Lord God and that I am their Redeemer, but that they would not be redeemed. In other words, I'm going to save my people. I'm powerful enough to save my people. The only people that won't be saved are the people that don't want to be saved, the people that would not be saved. And I think this is such a powerful truth that we often underestimate how much God can do, wants to do, and is doing to reclaim and save his people. Um, I love in chapter 27, the pronouns. When Alma wakes up, he says, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. And then he goes on this list, not of things that he did to repent, but of things that God did to save him. Um, I have been born of God. God changed me from my carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness. He redeemed me. He made me a son. He made me a new creature. He helped me to inherit the kingdom. He didn't cast me off. And then my favorite in verse 28, Nevertheless, after waiting through much tribulation, repenting nigh to death, the Lord in his mercy hath seen fit to snatch me out of an everlasting burning, and I am born of God. My soul has been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment, but I am snatched, and my soul is pained no more. Alma's not teaching this to emphasize what he's done. He's teaching this to emphasize what God has done to rescue and save him. Oh, I love that thought. I I think it's just so important for us to remember how active he is, how much he wants to forgive us and repent us and have have him have us come to him. Um which is why the next point that we might overestimate how much we need to do to repent. Well, this is back in that verse 24. Um, Alma does do something just because God is infinitely merciful and able and willing to save us. We do have to exercise our agency to accept that saving. And so Alma says in verse 24, I have repented of my sins. But here's the problem I have with the way we talk about repentance. Whenever I've heard repentance taught, especially to the youth, we give them a list of things they have to do in order to repent. I mean, you ask almost any young man or young woman, what do you have to do to repent? And they'll they'll start scratching their head. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember there were four R's. Or four, Isn't there was... it Mavemshna? Oh, wait, that's the planet. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, it's like I have to there have are for, wait, remorse, and then I have to... <laughs> repent and then I have to regret and then I have to repair or and I don't I don't I don't know I didn't learn the four hours but that was a joke by the way about the planets <laughs> well I have been and maybe this is the best way to teach it um one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Elder Holland um from 40 years ago this is in a BYU devotional address he gave in 1980 and he says this you can change anything you want to change and you can do it very fast that's another satanic sucker punch, that it takes years and years and eons of eternity to repent. And then this, it takes exactly as long to repent as it takes you to say, I'll change and mean it. I love that truth because it squares so clearly with what the scriptures teach. Repentance is not a list of to-dos. To repent means to change. And so Elder Holland's point as as 
soon as quickly as you can say, I'll change and mean it. And then he'll go on to say, uh, you will, of course, show through the rest of your life that you will prove that repentance by its permanence. But the change, growth, renewal, and repentance can come for you as instantaneously as, and then he says, for Alma and the sons of Mosiah, even if you have made serious mistakes. Um, in the story, Alma repents, and the Lord then forgives him and fills his heart with joy. Um, and then after that, this is chapter 27, verse 35, they traveled throughout the land of Zarahemla and among all the people who were under the reign of King Mosiah, zealously striving to repair all the injuries which they had done to the church, confessing all their sins and publishing all the things which they had seen and explaining the prophecies and the scriptures to all who desired to hear them. Um, I have, that's a pretty well-known verse. And I, again, have seen that verse used to say, okay, so see, in order to repent, we need to make sure we repair all that we've done wrong and we need to confess. The only problem I have with that is Alma and, Alma and the sons of Mosiah don't do those things as steps to repentance. They do it because they've repented. The repairing, the confessing, that comes because they're repentant people. How do you know they've repented? Because they're repairing and confessing. But those aren't prerequisites to change. Those are outcomes of a changed person. Well, and I think this in 28 verse 3 sums up what you're talking about here. They were going around confessing because they were desirous, now I'm reading, that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish. Yet even the very thought that any soul should endure endless torment did cause them to quake and tremble. That they they just wanted other people to feel this joy. That was part of their, their quote-unquote confessing. I think that's powerful because they're not going around trying to get people to walk through these multiple steps that they went through. They The thing that's so electrified them is that even as bad as they were, God saw fit in his infinite mercy to spare them, it says in verse 4, to snatch them and to save them. That's the truth they're going around. They're not going around saying, hey, we have now learned the steps of repentance and we want to help everyone take those steps. It's we want to tell people how good God is and that he wants to save you. If you will make this change in your life, if you'll cry out to him, then he'll fill your heart with joy and he'll change your life. I think in our effort to maybe not overestimate how much we need to do or underestimate what God is at work, how much God is doing for us, um, is to remember the simplicity of the church that we are a part of or the God that we follow, the Jesus Christ, our Savior, who does all of this for us. Um, in verse 22 of chapter 25, this is when he set, they're setting up the church and it says, for there was nothing preached in all the churches except it were repentance and faith in God. Um, maybe sometimes we can feel a little too um, burdened down, burdened down by the things that we're going through or by the things that we've done in the past. Or maybe we're just going through a rough patch in our, in our faith and in our process through life. Um, but don't forget that ultimately repentance is just changing and learning more about God and your relationship with God. When we talk about constantly needing to repent, it's not something that's um, that God's doing to condemn us, rather something that is just a process we get to go through to come to know God um, in better ways and that he is at work 
refining us and reaching out to us and freely giving so much to us so that we can connect to him. Um, and that's all it is. It's repentance and it's faith in God. And sometimes those can be really little things. You might not be the vilest of sinner and become the greatest missionary, but um, that's God sees greatness in you. Um, and he wants you to change, make those small things happen. Well, that makes me think of this from President Nelson. Um, when we choose to repent, we choose to change. That's how simple it is. We allow the Savior to transform us into the best version of ourselves. We choose to grow spiritually and receive joy, the joy of redemption in him. When we choose to repent, we choose to become more like Jesus Christ. Um, I love the way President Nelson talks about repentance, but I think it's difficult to understand what he means by linking repentance and joy together unless you understand these two truths about repentance. Number one, we cannot underestimate what God has done, what the Savior has done in his atonement, what he currently is doing, and what he, he will continue to do for us to redeem us. We are not alone in our efforts, and we're certainly not the most powerful person in our effort to help us repent and to change. And then the second, that we can't overestimate how much we need to do. Repentance is not a burden. It's not a checklist of a thousand things we need to do to change. Or not there to overwhelm us. Right. It's just change. And as soon as we change, God meets us and he can pour out his spirit and his blessings upon us. Um, now that change, of course, has to be sincere. But when it is, um, I think we're filled with joy and repentance becomes something we're excited about. Changing and becoming better is exciting, not overwhelming. You guys, thank you so much for listening and for studying with us. We're just really grateful that we get to um, do this podcast and connect with so many of you. Um, over this past week or so, I've been going through and reading as many of the different reviews and different podcast app that I could. And it's just, we're just grateful. We're, it's so fun to hear from you. Um, one of the things, if you have left a question there, it's hard for me to respond back in all the different podcast apps. So if you have a question, please send us an email. Hello at scripturestudyproject.com. Um, and if we could ask you to do one thing, if you haven't been someone that has reviewed, we would love you to leave us a review or a comment there. It's so fun to hear from you. And we're just grateful for um, all of you out there listening. We hope you have a great week. <laughs>